my message this morning taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and just a few verses, uh, so I'll read them to you. Luke, chapter 5, verses 12 to, 5, to 16. Luke, chapter 5, verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the reports went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. What amazes me uh, during this time of lockdown is how relevant uh, the Bible is to our situation. And we may think that self-isolation and uh, not uh, being able to touch people uh, is something completely uh, new uh, to our situation. But actually, as we had in our reading from Leviticus, it was something uh, that God had already instituted in his word. And we're talking here now, not just about 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came, but uh, a few thousand years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And it had to do uh, with uh, those people uh, in the children of Israel who had leprosy. Now, we still have leprosy in certain parts of the world, and it's a horrible disease. And it was much, much worse in Bible times and in Jesus's day. There was a stigma attached to it. and. Uh, it's really uh, isolated people from society. And in the reading, uh, the priest uh, in uh, the uh, camp of the children of Israel had the responsibility uh, to uh, make sure uh, that a person uh, had leprosy and a person who had uh, uh, wounds or scabs on his skin uh, was examined by the priest and. Uh, had to be isolated for seven days. And if those scabs hadn't cleared, uh, he had to be isolated for another seven days. It sounds particularly relevant, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, if after 14 days uh, they hadn't healed and that the skin underneath was also affected, uh, then to all intents and purposes, they were declared leprous. And as I said, it was a shameful thing uh, for a person uh, to have. And what was worse uh, wasn't so much uh, the disease itself, which was very unpleasant. We'll come to that in a minute. 
but it was the fact that the person was pronounced unclean. Did you notice in uh, the verse from chapter 13 of Leviticus, once the person was pronounced a leper, he was also uh, pronounced unclean, unclean, unclean. Uh, the person wasn't just to be self-isolated anymore, but the person was to be completely uh, segregated, uh, to live outside the camp, uh, to uh, uh, not be able to attend the services in the tabernacle. And in Jesus's day, they were not allowed uh, to go into the synagogue. They had to be behind a special screen. They were not uh, to be touched by people. They were not able to see their families. Uh, so what the Bible is doing, uh, as we uh, looked at uh, the plague a few weeks ago, what the Bible does, and this is why it's really relevant to you and to me, is it uses this terrible physical disease as a picture of a far worse uh, condition, which of course is sin. Sin is like a spiritual leprosy. So all I want to do uh, this morning is look uh, to begin with at how sin uh, is like leprosy. And of course, uh, my message is about a, a leper uh, that heard about Jesus coming uh, to his town and he went to Jesus. And it's interesting, uh, he implored Jesus uh, and prayed to be made clean, not just to be healed of the leprosy notes, but to be cleansed. It was the stigma. That was the worst thing. This ceremonial uncleanness, the law of Moses, uh, pronouncing him unfit. And that's what he wanted more than anything, to be made clean again. So let, let's look first at how leprosy is uh, an illustration of the disease of sin. Now, we haven't got time to do this now, but if you look at the various tests in Leviticus 13, uh, you can apply it uh, to this spiritual disease of sin. Let me just go through a few things. Incidentally, Isaiah, in the first chapter of his prophecy, does make the comparison uh, between uh, leprosy and sin. So the first thing about leprosy is obviously, even though it affects the skin and there are scabs and scars and parts of the skin become infected and fall off, it's more than skin deep. That's important. It's under the skin, really, uh, even though the symptoms show themselves outwardly. And of course, that's even more true uh, of the spiritual leprosy. Uh, our mistake, especially as religious and respectable people, is to think of sin as sim simply something outward. Those sins, those symptoms uh, that we are so often uh, horrified uh, concerning. And we should be. There's nothing wrong with that. But as I said to the children, uh, the essence of sin is it's under the skin, much deeper indeed than leprosy. It's the heart that is sinful. So that, that's one thing uh, that is similar. And then, of course, uh, there is the fear of contagion uh, with leprosy. 
maybe they've discovered today that it's it's not as contagious uh, as people once thought but there's a terrible fear and in Jesus's day this would have been especially true of others catching uh, this horrible disease well uh, there's never going to be uh, a discovery uh, that sin isn't contagious uh, let me tell you that uh, we know don't we uh, that sin uh, is very catching and the thing is what makes it catching uh, you know when we say to our young people when they go off to universities uh, be careful be careful uh, it's not so much the contamination uh, of other people uh, maybe going out and getting drunk uh, that is the problem uh, we've got to be careful yes but it's the fact that there is already uh, this sin in us and like attracts like and that's what makes sin especially contagious uh, that is why uh, if you put a sign up this is a very uh, cliched illustration but it makes the point if you put a sign up do not walk on the grass what do we instinctively do we walk on the grass that's because of this default position in us uh, which is sin this contagion of sin and then uh, something else about leprosy uh, it disfigures uh, now there's this misconception about leprosy that the disease itself causes your uh, skin and parts of your body to rot and fall off well that's not quite true what the leprosy does is attack the nerve endings so that people become numb and so if you think of Jesus's day, a person might be making a fire and they might burn their fingers and not know it. And that would become infected and they wouldn't know it. And eventually uh, infection would set in deep and uh, there would be uh, the rotting of the fingertips and they might be uh, disfigured then. Uh, so it's uh, this numbness. That's what leprosy causes. And isn't that even so much more true of sin? It makes us numb to spiritual realities. That's the worst thing uh, about our society, I think. Uh, the fact that people know that they're going to die one day. Uh, I've had so many funerals recently, and you would think uh, that. Uh, people confronted uh, with death uh, would start asking the question, what about me? Am I ready to die? What's going to happen after death? Am I ready for eternity? Do I know where my soul is going? Do I know that I have a hope of heaven? Or will I be going to hell? You see, what sin does is make us numb to those Big truths, just like leprosy, uh, caused people to become numb. Indeed, we become comfortably numb. That, that's the, the scary thing. Uh, I remember uh, when I was first uh, uh, told about uh, the gospel, I wasn't brought up in a gospel church. And when I was first sold uh, the gospel, I thought the person speaking to me 
uh, was crazy. Uh, of course, we say uh, certain people are sinners, but me, I I'm all right, Jack. I don't need uh, a savior. It's those people uh, who are really sinners uh, who need to be saved. Well, that's true, but it is also just as true of me and of you who are listening in. Uh, are you numb this morning uh, to uh, what the Bible has to say? Do you think sin is another person's problem and not your problem? Do you th think of Jesus Christ as another person's saviour rather than somebody that can save you? Oh, may we not be numb. May we have tender hearts. Ah, give me, Lord, said Wesley that tender heart that trembles at the approach of sin. And of course, the worst thing about leprosy is, as I said, it made a person ceremonially unclean, uh, isolated, not just from society, and this is the key, not just from other people, but from the fellowship of the people of God and from God himself. Now, that's what sin does. Ultimately, sin brings death. What is death? Death, separation. And that's what happened when our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. Death came. They didn't die physically straight away. They lived on for centuries. People lived longer then. But spiritually, they were dead. Uh, they, they, they were numb, as I've been saying. Not just numb, but dead, dead. Dead is dead. That's what we're all like. Uh, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And we're going to face a physical death, separation of body and soul. The soul uh, goes either to eternal hell or eternal heaven. The body becomes food for worms. Isn't that terrible? People sometimes say to me, uh, you've got to make the gospel relevant. What could be more relevant than this? That we have to die, that we're already dead spiritually, and that if we continue like this, we are not right with God. God is angry with us, righteously angry, because we are impure, we are sinners. He is not. He must punish sin. And death, the soul that sins, shall die. The wages of sin is death. And we just don't get it. I was very privileged uh, to visit India the first time. And the first mission we did was very far, uh, north of Agra. Uh, there was a village that was a Dalit village. Do you know what Dalits are in India? They are the untouchables, the lowest caste. And we were going to this village where the Dalits lived in isolation. Uh, the Dalits, uh, they did not have good jobs. They were given the worst tasks in society. Uh, they, they are really looked down upon uh, in Hindu society. And we went to this village and all the village gathered together in the square to hear the gospel. You wouldn't get that happening in Wales. 
these people who are ostracized like lepers by the rest of society, they were drawn to hear Baskarau preach about Jesus Christ. And afterwards, and this was very moving, remember this was my first mission in India, we were invited by the chief of the village to his home. And he said, I am interested, I am interested to know more about this Jesus. You know, this is what uh, is in this passage here. It's not so much about leprosy, that there is this uh, leper, and he's a picture of you and me. We're spiritual lepers, unclean, unclean, no hope in and of ourselves. But like those villagers, uh, in India, uh, there is one uh, who has mercy on us. So, so let's look at how Jesus Christ deals with this leper. And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold a man who was full of leprosy. That's what Dr. Luke says. Uh, he knew what he was talking about. Full of leprosy. He saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This passage isn't so much about leprosy, it's about Jesus Christ, uh, the one who can heal us from this horrible spiritual leprosy. And without further ado, Jesus here does two things, two amazing things. The first is this He reaches out his hand and he touches, touches this leper. Now, that would have been shocking, right? That there's no other way of putting it. This man was ceremonially unclean. If another person was to contact him, that would make him ceremonially unclean. It, it, it was just something unheard of. And for Jesus Christ, this so-called uh, great teacher to do that. It was completely shocking. But you know what? This is the hope for you and for me. Because Jesus didn't have to touch him. Uh, there were occasions when Jesus only said the word and a person was healed. But here, Jesus goes out of his way to touch an untouchable. And this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ does to you and me. See, there are some of you, I'm sure, you're still trying uh, to save yourself through the law, through the keeping of God's commandments. But the thing is, we're lepers, man, and we're unclean. It doesn't matter what we try to do. Uh, even uh, the tears of our repentance need to be cleansed. Everything about us is tainted. And the law, the law, right? The law condemns uh, in the reading. If a person was found to be uh, clean of leprosy, the law uh, didn't condemn him. Uh, if a person was eventually healed of leprosy, the law then had a ritual where that person was pronounced clean, but what the law could not do 
was actually change that leper. It couldn't give hope to that leper. And, oh, my friend, the law can't save us. Uh, only Jesus Christ can do it. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. That's the gospel. God did through the sending of his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And that is all made uh, powerfully here in this uh, reaching out of Jesus, uh, touching this man. My friend, God in the gospel touches sinful humanity. A holy God comes from the purity of heaven and becomes a man by sin. Jesus didn't become a sinner. He remained pure. He remained perfect. When he grew up in Nazareth, which was a rough and tumble place, he remained absolutely sinless. And when he started working as a carpenter, uh, that would not have been uh, an easy job, would it? It would have been mixing with the rough people. He remained pure. And when he started his ministry, when he became the friend of publicans, tax collectors, sinners, he remained pure. And when he touched this leper, he wasn't contaminated. But such is his compassion to save people like you and I from our spiritual leprosy. He doesn't stand aloof. That wouldn't give us hope, would it? We don't want somebody who is the son of God, human flesh, the Godhead. See, yes, that's good, but it won't save you. It won't save you. It'll condemn you. What he does is touch, touch sinful humanity. He did it by being born amongst us. He did it by dwelling amongst us. He did it by associating not with the great and the good, not hobnobbing with the religious leaders, but mixing with the poor and the lowly and the off-scouring of society. And he does it here by touching this man. What Jesus is saying, in effect, is I'm taking upon myself your impurity. That's how I'm going to heal you. I'm going to take your leprosy upon myself and I'm still going to remain uncontaminated. Now, I can't get my head around that, can you? Let, let me read some Calvin. He had a better, better mind than me. <laughs> uh, this is uh, what Calvin said. There is such a purity in Christ. He absorbs all uncleanness and pollution. He does not contaminate himself by touching the leper nor does he transgress the law. He stays whole, cleans all our dirt away, and pours upon us his own holiness. He could heal the leper by his word alone. He adds the contact of his hand to show his feeling of compassion. No wonder, since he willed to put on our flesh in order that he might cleanse us from all of our sin and what Jesus did supremely in order 
to touch us in our uncleanness was to go to that cross and there, there, for three hours, he who knew no sin became sin. He didn't become a sinner, but he was looked upon by his father, by the Holy One, as the worst of sinners because your sin and mine were all put on him. He took it all upon himself so that we might be forgiven and made clean. For God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses upon them. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a wonderful message. Jesus Christ take upon himself your sin and mine, the pure, the pure dying in the place of the impure. Oh, what a hope, what a hope. Uh, can, can I expand on this? This is why I read, not just from Leviticus 13, but the 14th chapter of Leviticus, because there you had the ritual, the ceremony of the leper who had been healed. And I, I don't want to uh, confuse uh, any of you, but it's just useful to see uh, what happens and how it applies to Jesus Christ. Uh, this man who was healed by Jesus was told, incidentally, to go to the priest. So this is what would have happened to this man. And he would have brought it home to him, I think, in uh, a vivid way. Uh, so he would have gone to the priest and the priest would have taken two birds. And one bird was put in a clay jar and killed under running water. What's that? What's that pointing to? Well, that's pointing to Jesus Christ, the incarnation, God in uh, human flesh, the jar of clay. And then being killed is pointing to the cross. That's how a leper can be cleansed. That's how you and I are cleansed from sin. God coming down to deal with it and doing it by dying in our place. And then the other bird is stained with the blood. I don't know where the stain would have been put, but it would have been put somewhere on the bird. And he's then let loose, let loose. And we can think, can't we, of the man healed. As the bird is let loose, he can see the stain, he can see the mark. And then as the bird flies higher and higher, that mark is getting smaller and smaller until it eventually disappears. Wonderful. Do you know this chorus? Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins. Far away, far away. How far? How far? In the psalm I started the service with, later on it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far, my hands aren't long enough, so far has he separated our iniquities from us. It doesn't say as far as the north is from the south, because you've got a north pole and a south pole. So there is a finite distance between the north and the South Pole. There isn't a finite distance between the East and the West because there's no East or West Pole. It's infinite. 
In other words, if Jesus Christ has borne our sin upon himself, it's gone forever. Praise God. Praise God for such a gospel. And then something else that happened was a lamb was also sacrificed and the blood of that lamb was put on the man that was healed. Uh, let me get this right now. I've written it down. Uh, blood was put on his ear. Blood was put on his thumb. And blood was put on his toe. The ear shows that he's obeying, hearing the word of God. The thumb shows that he is putting into practice the word of God. Uh, the toe shows that he is now walking with God in his word. So you see, when we are cleansed by Jesus Christ, it's just not a ma matter of our sins being forgiven. It is that, and that's glorious. But we become new creatures. We are changed. Uh, and this is emphasized by the fact that oil was put on the blood as well. So the oil was put on the blood on the ear, the oil was put on the blood on the thumb, and the oil was put on the blood on the toe. The oil, oh, the Holy Spirit, we've been made new creations. We no longer want to live a life of sin. We now are free, yes, but free to follow our wonderful Savior. Uh, that. That, that, that's the touch of Jesus Christ. Let me just uh, quote uh, a hymn, a Sankey hymn. Uh, we've got it in our new supplements. And it just says this. Listen to this. Would you be free from your burden of sin? Would you? Don't look to the law. Don't. don't. It's futile. There's only one place. There is power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil the victory win? There is wonder working power in the blood. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There is power in the blood, there is power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There is wonder-working power in the blood. So Jesus touches, and then he speaks. Uh, this poor man, I don't think he doubts Jesus' ability to heal him. He recognizes this is the Son of God incarnate. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. But we must remember, at this point, Jesus had healed all sorts of diseases. But this is the first indication of him healing a leper. And when you think of the stigma in uh, society in Jesus' day against leprosy, uh, I'm trying to think of an example uh, uh, from today. And it's not from today, but from the 80s. Those of you who were alive in the 80s, when the AIDS epidemic happened, and there was a horrible stigma uh, concerning people who had AIDS. And I'm sure this man was thinking, can he can heal me, but is he willing to heal a person like me who's got the AIDS of the times? Is his compassion that great? And, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, I, I, I'm not a, a sinner like um, a murderer or a child abuser 
or something terrible like that. But I wonder sometimes, with all my privilege, I've known the gospel for so many years, and my heart is so hard, and I fall into the same sins all the time. Can he really, really forgive somebody like me? I'm a wretch. How, how can he? I, I know he's able, but I'm such, uh, I'm such a fake. Can he? Can he? Yes, but will he? That's the problem. Is that you a problem? You believe he can, but you're asking, will he? Will he? That's what this man is saying. Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing. What did Jesus say? Oh, what wonderful words to this man's ears. And they can be to your ears as well. I am willing. Actually, this is what I'm here for. I am most willing. Did you hear that? Let me read Spurgeon. It's good to have Mr. Spurgeon. The I will of an emperor may have great power over his dominions, but the I will of Christ derives death and hell before him, conquers disease, removes despair, and floods the world with mercy. I will. Did you hear him? That's the word of Jesus Christ. He said in another place, all manner of sin and blasphemies shall be forgiven. That's the word of the one who cannot lie. In another place, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He is willing. He is willing. Uh, I must wind to a conclusion here. Uh, I was taking a funeral the other day, and it was a person I'd never met. And uh, the people that gathered there, I, I did not know them from Adam. And I don't think they had uh, any church background. And when you read uh, verses from Scripture, uh, it's like uh, you are from another planet. <laughs> and the poor man that had died was younger than me, younger than me. Uh, that, that's always sobering uh, when you take the funeral of a person that's younger than you. And he died an alcoholic. And yet, there's still a message of hope. Jesus Christ will save whoever, whoever. It doesn't matter how much they've been stigmatized by society. You know, Jesus Christ was so different from the religious leaders of his time. They stood aloof from the people. And yet Jesus, he didn't repel the people. The scribes and the Pharisees, they repelled the ordinary people. Jesus attracted them. They saw something in him that meant he's going to welcome me. He's going to forgive me. Uh, yes, uh, he forgives. Not that we carry on in the path of sin. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But Jesus is the friend 
of the stigmatized, the friend of sinners. Uh, well, I just want to give you this anecdote as I begin to wind down. Uh, it's, it's worth repeating. Uh, the Calvinistic Methodists, uh, they were the denomination we came out of. And what Calvinistic Methodism stands for is uh, wonderful. Uh, and there are many uh, good Calvinistic Methodist churches around today. And in the 19th century, um, they were uh, in the middle of that period at their height. And their greatest preacher was John Elias. And they were having a meeting. And in that meeting, the issue of drunkards came up. Uh, and they, they were talking about this. Uh, and they didn't know what to do. Uh, Elias shook himself. He got up. I feel within myself this minute, he cried, to offer them for sale by auction to whomsoever will take them, that they might not disturb us anymore. He's using his imagination. Uh, we're not very good at doing that today as preachers. Then at the top of his voice, with his arm outstretched, as if he held them in the palm of his hand, he shouted, who will take them? Who will take them? Churchmen, that's Anglicans, will you take them? We, we, in our baptism, we have professed to renounce the devil and all his works. No, we cannot take them. Then after a moment's silence, independence, uh, they would have been the nonconformists. Will you take them? What? We? We ages ago left the Church of England, which made them nonconformists, because of her corruption. No, we will not take them. Another interval of silence. Baptists, will you take them? We? Certainly not. We dip all our people in water as a sign that we take those who have been cleansed. No, we will not have them. Silence again. Wesleyans, that's Methodists. Will you take them? What? We? Good works is a matter of life with us. We do not want them. Then he stretched forth his arm once again, as if holding the poor drunkards in his hand. And once again, at the top of his voice, he shouted, Who will take them? Who will take them? Who will take them? Then suddenly his whole nature became agitated. His eyes flashed as he turned his head aside. And in a low tone, which could be heard by all, he said, Methinks I can hear the devil at my elbow saying, knock them down to me. I will take them. Then after 30 seconds of dead silence, he cried, I was going to say, Satan, that you could have them. But looking upwards, he said in a loud, clear, yet gentle voice, I can hear Jesus saying, I will take them. I will take them. Unclean to be washed, drunkards to be sobered, in all their filth and degradation, I will take them and cleanse them in mine own blood. The effect of all this can be better imagined than described. The ministers, preachers and elders were stunned and the huge congregation was stirred with a spirit of tumultuous joy and exultation. My friends, do you feel a bit of excitement this morning that we have a Jesus Christ? who will take sinners, whoever they are, even you, even 
me. I just want to encourage you to go to him, to trust in him. Uh, oh, come, easiness, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, but more than that, he is willing. Come, come, and doubt no more. May every one of us who is listening this morning realize that by nature we're all spiritual lepers, unclean. And our only hope is in the same Jesus Christ that said to the poor leper that came to him, I will be clean. He touched lost humanity by taking our sins upon himself from the cross. And if you go to him, and if you say to him, Lord, I don't deserve it, but you love sinners. You've come to forgive sinners. And please forgive me and give me a new heart. I guarantee you, if you pray that prayer, he will in his own time hear you and you will be able to say, I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm healed. And I'm a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here, in the grace of Christ, I stand for his name's sake. Amen. We're now going to sing together a hymn which has this sense of wonder in it. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. The Nazarene and one stanza said, He took my sins and my sorrows and made them his very own. Let's worship our Saviour.
Father in heaven, we just praise thee uh, for giving us a new song and for delivering us from uh, spiritual leprosy. And we thank thee uh, that uh, this song uh, will uh, never uh, be stopped singing and that even now some from our midst are standing uh, with the throng in glory, uh, praising uh, the Lamb that was slain. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.